0: Hello and welcome to The Fincher Takes It All, a limited series podcast which celebrates and reflects on the filmography of director David Fincher ahead of the release of his next movie, Mank. I'm your host, Emily Murray, and today I'm joined by film journalist and broadcaster Frida Cooper to discuss Fincher's 2007 thriller, Zodiac. Based on true events, the film follows a San Francisco political cartoonist as he becomes an amateur detective obsessed with tracking down the Zodiac killer. Me and Frida discuss the outstanding performances delivered by the ensemble cast, the meta nature after movie, and how Finch approached the story with the mind of an investigator. But first, here's a clip. Go get the publisher. Dear editor, this is the murderer of the two teenagers last Christmas at Lake Herman and the girl on the 4th of July near the golf course in Vallejo. To prove I killed them, I shall state some facts which only <clears throat> I and the police know. Christmas. Brand name of ammo, Super X. Ten shots were fired. The boy was on his back with his feet to the car. The girl... Uh... read right that, please.
1: The girl was on her right side, feet to the west. Fourth of July. One, girl was wearing patterned slacks. The boy was also shot in the knee. Brand name of ammo was Western.
0: Hello, Frida, and welcome to The Fincher Takes It All. How are you today? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm good. You're back for another one. (laughs) I know, I know. I don't know which one of us is the glutton for
1: punishment. It's probably you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: Of course, we talked about Insomnia on Knowing Me, Knowing You, and today we're talking a kind of similar film, I suppose you could say, to Insomnia. Well, it's certainly a uh, detective movie, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, We're talking Zodiac. So before we get into David Fincher's Zodiac, just want to tell us a bit about yourself and what you do.
1: Uh, I am a film critic um, and I'm online. I do a slot on BBC local radio as well, as well as writing about films. I have the privilege of interviewing some really interesting people about films, whether they're directors or writers or indeed the stars. So my life is basically centred around films. I mean in under more normal circumstances it would be centred around darkened rooms. As it is, it's centered around my spare room watching films on my large laptop.
0: <laughs> yes, I mean we're still I feel like when we recorded the first podcast we were in lockdown one. And now we're in yeah. lockdown two. So Yeah, lockdown two electric boogaloo. <laughs> yeah. So as I said today we're talking about Zodiac but before we get into this particular film you know would you describe yourself as a Fincher fan? I wouldn't
1: describe myself as a Fincher fan um, in that there are some of his films that I don't totally get on with I mean I always had Fight Club as a, as a bit of a difficult one. First time round I didn't like it at all second time round I got on with it a lot better I could see what was good about it I still didn't take to it so I wouldn't say I'm a diehard Fincher fan but if David Fincher makes a film I want to see it because mm. I always know that there's going to be some good stuff in it that it's going to be well made and that it's going to be an intelligent film because this is a man who never underestimates the intelligence of his audience
0: yeah and as you said, today we are talking about Zodiac. So suppose, just quickly, you know, why why Zodiac before we take a deep dive into it?
1: Um, Well, I guess I kind of like detective police procedural type <laughs> films. I mean, this particular one, strange enough, I never saw it when it first came out um, for some unknown reason, and I can't actually recollect why, but <laughs> even though it had a cast like, you know Robert Downey Jr, Jake Gyllenhaal, Mark Ruffalo and of course David Fincher for some reason I didn't see it and then I happened to be in a shop it must have been a couple of years later saw the DVD wondered why on earth I'd never seen it first time round, and then sort of bought it but yeah I, I love a good police procedural um, anything mm. from sort of like Hill Street Blues to CSI but I also love um, a good newspaper investigative movie as well, and this is kind of a combination of the two. And actually, one of my favorites, which is All the President's Men, is actually the template that Fincher used for this particular film. So it it kind of ticks an awful lot of boxes for me.
0: Yeah, it is strange when you didn't see it when it when it first came out. <laughs> I can't
1: I can't account for that. I mean, even more bizarrely, was I really liked Seven. So you would think yeah. I'd been in the queue on the first day. So goodness knows what's on <laughs> my way. But but there you go. But I put it right. I saw the error of my ways.
0: Yeah. I uh I saw it, God, when did I see it? I probably saw it when I first like got into films like as a teenager. I reckon my dad probably showed it to me. Um, you know, once I like found my love of cinema. And I remember I remember being really impressed by it, but I didn't actually return to it until lockdown one. Uh, I think uh, Clarice uh, Clarice Lockery uh, chose it as part of like she does like an independent film club um, during lockdowns and I think it was one of the choices so I watched it as part of that and I was like god I forgot just how good you know, Zodiac is and then I rewatched it recently again for um, for this podcast and it just stands up it, like it really really does stand up for multiple watches and I still think it is I would say it's the epitome of that genre for sure
1: the other thing I think it's interesting now with, with, I guess, the benefit of hindsight is when you watch it, you can actually, it, it actually foreshadows Mindhunter.
0: Yeah, which I still haven't seen, Frida. <laughs> oh, you must. I
1: mean, why Fincher has decided not to make any more Mindhunter? I, I, I cannot understand because it is so brilliantly gripping. I do wish he'd change his mind. But yeah, if it, when you come to watch Mindhunter, you yeah. will see Zodiac in it. No question.
0: Yeah, and I feel that like I don't know why I haven't seen my Hunter* because I'm a Fincher fan, and it's it is as you say it's quite Zodiac-y. Like I like detective stuff. I also love Jonathan Groff um, from *Hamilton* and from *Frozen*. So I don't know, I don't know why. I think it's just because I'm really bad at TV. <laughs> I I think I really am just awful watching te- television because I have no attention, which is why like films <laughs> films work for me. So I will watch it though. As part believe of the podcast, me believe then.
1: me mind hunter will grab your attention yeah no no doubt about it i i thought it was absolutely superb i mean there's one particular episode which had me shrieking in my seat actually
0: oh and it takes oh. a
1: lot for me to do
0: that yeah okay so yeah i should watch it it's only two seasons as you say he's not making any more which which is quite sad i think for fans. Oh, i
1: think it's tragic i really yeah. really do
0: but to get back to zodiac um one of the things that i from reading about this film and from watching about it that strikes me is how passionate Finch was about making it authentic like he really approached this film in the way not like as a director but also like he was an investigator on the case and I think that really comes through and to me that's what makes Zodiac a bit like something special It's not just your regular like it is a police procedural detective drama, but you know there's a spark to it there. Mm.
1: I, I think so, and I think also, I mean, we've become kind of used to that sort of tagline at the start of the film, based on a true story. We see it mm. so often nowadays. But actually, I think in this instance, Fincher went to such enormous lengths to be to be accurate in his depiction of the story and the people and the locations. I mean, I gather that the wardrobe department was granted access to the forensic evidence from the actual murders, so they could recreate the outfits that were worn yeah. by the victims. I mean, what other director would go to those sort of lengths then, and indeed now as well? It's quite yeah, yeah. extraordinary.
0: And there's also the story of one of the locations they filmed as much as possible on the actual real life locations, and I think they planted trees because at the time there were trees, and it changed so much; there weren't any trees now, so you know and sure that the tree's grown there to make it as authentic as possible and as you say you don't sort of get that attention to detail with other directors and it makes it more than just a film based on a true story you know, this is a true story
1: it is I mean it's, it, it's a very well-known story as well and actually I I gather at, um, the film starts with the killing on the 4th of July and when zodiac in inverted commas phones it in he says he killed last year as well and actually he probably did but because there were there were no witnesses there was nobody who could substantiate that for Fincher he left that one out and started with that killing on the 4th of July
0: so he only focuses on the killings where there was like validated evidence validated surviving victims oh that's interesting see I didn't know that yeah, But yeah, now no, you he, say he, that, he, he I'm like, could, yeah. He
1: couldn't include it. And actually, when you, when you look at the sort of detail that he goes in for, um, it, it's no surprise at all. But equally, <laughs> one, one of the, the stories that amused me about this film slightly is, and it's all to do with Finch's attention to detail, sometimes he will add things digitally because he'll look at a shot and think, now that doesn't look quite right. And in this <laughs> particular instance, you get shots of Jake Gyllenhaal's hands where he's looking at letters or cartoons and stuff. And Fincher apparently thought his hands were a bit too perfect, so he added some hairs. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's really
0: weird. Absolutely I also really true. like that. <laughs> I,
1: I, need, I need to go back and have a look, actually, and see if they're that noticeable. But, yeah, he thought Jake's hands were too smooth.
0: Well, I would look at a little and think he would have nice, soft clean hands but
1: yeah yeah, but maybe it didn't fit with the character you see particularly later on in the film when you see that sort of messy flat and he's so obsessed and he's unkempt and all the rest of it then yeah okay he won't be taking care of himself to the same extent
0: yeah but what I really do like yeah obviously about the hairy hands as well but it (laughs) is just it is just so authentic and I feel like zodiac's a weird one because obviously it's an unsolved case and in a typical movie like this the killer would be caught at the end Uh, but obviously that's not the case in real life that's not the case in the movie and i feel that also that also shows how like it is so based on real life like we really do have nothing about this killer and no solution or resolution at the end and i suppose it's quite bleak in a way then which also suits Pincher's general tone when it comes to his um, filmmaking bleakness.
1: Well, it it does. And I think also it's a film that actually leaves a number of questions unanswered. Not obviously. I mean, the, the main one is who was the killer. Yeah. But there are other things that, that struck me. I mean, certainly with the letters, they always assumed that the letters were genuinely from the killer. There was nothing to abs- actually substantiate the fact that they were.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then I also like the scene where um, Paul Avery, Robert Downey Jr.'s character, doesn't want to tell Robert Grayson this, but he points out that the killer's letters is actually just based on evidence in newspaper reports as well. And then I also like it when he says to uh, Robert, you always look disappointed, like we in the audience are also disappointed that he hasn't potentially murdered more people, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he does. He does. The, there was also something that that I picked up because at one point in the film, um, there's a screening of Dirty Harry, the Clint Eastwood mm. movie, where, of course, the killer is called Scorpio. So we're back yeah. onto Zodiac territory. Yeah. But you're seeing some of the letters that Scorpio writes, and the handwriting is strangely similar.
0: <laughs> I noticed that as well, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> S- which... I think, was what sowed the seeds of doubt in my mind as to, so did those letters really come from the Zodiac killer? Or yeah. was it like a huge hoax? I mean, you know, it, it put me in mind of the Yorkshire Ripper case where you yeah. had a series of tape recordings from the guy that they nicknamed Wearside Jack, um, which took the police completely up a blind alley as it turned out.
0: Yeah, yeah. This is what I really like about Zodiac, as you sort of touched upon van is... From these movies, we expect to have questions posed and then these questions be answered, whether it is, this is a killer, this isn't real, this is what happened. But in fact, we are at the end of the movie just as clueless as we are at the start of the movie. And I like that. That reminds us that in true life, cases don't go, you know, they aren't solved, they do go unsolved. And there are situations like this, like there is with the Zodiac.
1: Yeah it's it's not your your neat sort of one hour or in this case two and a half hour police yeah. procedural.
0: Yeah it is a long <laughs> film to be fair but it, it flies by. Um
1: it's well, a slow burn but you know it, that it's over two and a half hours but of course actually um the shooting script I think for this was about 200 pages long and normally a script will be about anything between 90 and 120 <laughs> and the original cut for this was over three hours. Oh
0: wow! So so
1: I think I think what Fincher did actually, he re- he realized he'd got this mammoth script, and he needed to bring it in sort of well under three hours. So um, he got the cast to talk faster.
0: Oh, like he did with Social Network, because it's that's infamous because there's a lot of dialogue, like a lot of dialogue <laughs> in this Social the, Network. <laughs>
1: there's a lot of dialogue in this one, although to be honest. I didn't actually pick up that they were speaking particularly fast or extremely fast at all. I mean, the film itself does move along at a really good pace, but it didn't feel that it was rushed in any way.
0: Yeah, yeah. What do you think about the performances? Because I think everyone is just... I mean, everything about this film is spot on, Um, but I really, really like the trio of Jake Gyllenhaal, Mark Ruffalo and Robert Downey Jr. I just think... Jake Junior Hall has that sort of like young naiveness to him, and then he's quite excitable. You can kind of see how he would just become completely obsessed. Robert Downey Jr. is just playing every Robert Downey Jr. character ever. <laughs> you know, kind of charismatic, bit egotistical, and then you know, has a bit of a downfall. And Mark Ruffalo, I just think is a solid actor in everything he does. Um, of course, all three of us in in the MCU as well, uh, which I just. I just this clicked. Is true. But... I mean, this was
1: this was actually made um, just before any of them had made it really big. I mean, out of the three, uh, Gyllenhaal was probably the highest profile because, of course, he'd been in Brokeback Mountain in 2005 and he'd won a BAFTA for mm. it and he had an Oscar nod for it. Robert Downey Jr., we all know that he'd had problems in previous years. Yeah. This was made the year before he made his first appearance as Iron Man. Yeah, this is 2007. So it was a real sort of yeah, this is a real sort of, if you like, transitional form. I think he's really good in it. I like the fact that he's he's very nervy, he's very edgy, he's very twitchy. As you say, it is a fairly typical Robert Downey Jr. performance, but I got the feeling that he'd perhaps drawn on some of his experiences over mm. previous years, particularly in the latter stages of his character ruffalo again was was moving steadily up he'd been in um shutter island for scorsese of course, yeah recently um but of course the one that we never talk about is anthony edwards yes he's See, the second cop we always forget anthony edwards
0: but I, he's uh, goose right in top gun because i was yes. trying to look at his indb i was like because i recognize his face i can never remember his name to be fair poor anthony edwards but yeah I and I was like god he's goose <laughs>
1: well of course he's best known for being in er that was where he really made his name i haven't seen that and um the interesting thing was that when fincher was casting this this particular role he wanted somebody to play the role who was an all-round good guy and that was why he cast anthony edwards because he knew him because they were neighbors
0: Oh, really? (laughs) So he knew
1: he'd got the right guy for the role. And actually, as it happened with with Edwards, he was sort of coming to the end of his time on AR, Mm. obviously looking to make it in movies. And to be fair, he's not one of those actors who actually made the transition, not like his co-star, George Clooney.
0: Well, of course, yeah.
1: Um, But I I think overall, the four main actors are really good what I think is also interesting about the film is there's some actual really class acts in some of the smaller supporting roles mm. you've got Chloe Sevigny as Jake Gyllenhaal's wife yeah. really interestingly you've got John Carroll Lynch as the main suspect so good for the King, he is
0: so who, good
1: he's one of those actors who is sort of like that guy he's always in supporting roles yeah um, but he's a terrific actor I always remember seeing him in The Founder where he oh, and Nick with Offerman Michael... yeah. played the two original McDonald's. McDonald's brothers, who, of course, their business was taken over by Michael Keaton. But John Carroll Lynch, as well, is a director. He's only ever directed one film, but it happened to be Lucky, which was Harry Dean Stanton's final movie.
0: Interesting. I didn't know that. But he is, yeah. He is. I've written he's in my nose, he's so terrific. good. terrific. He's yeah.
1: such a good actor and such a versatile actor. You've also, of course, in this, got the amazing Brian Cox. As Melvin. Who of course, Did, yeah. Well, yeah, who played um, the original Hannibal Lecter in Manhunt. Of course, now we know him better as Logan Roy in Succession. Yeah, which I still um, where need to see. he turned the F word into something like an art form. Uh, and he's brilliant in that and another extraordinarily versatile actor yeah so it's it's got some really cl- class supporting performances tucked away in there that you would almost not notice because your immediate focus is on the bigger name
0: yeah I was about to say that well first of all I once randomly just bumped into Brian Cox um as I was trying to find the entrance for the I was going to Alien Covenant like premiere I couldn't find my way round. And then he also couldn't find his way round. So <laughs> we were all struggling. Uh, he's <laughs> he's you know, a
1: really nice guy. I've, yeah, I've interviewed yeah. him. He's great. He's great. And I've, I've been a fan of his for years.
0: But you ever, you mean it's like, wait, well, yeah, that's Brian Cox also Cox, lost. Yeah, just like the me, Brian Cox, Dundee's but,
1: finest. Yeah. But
0: I agree with you. Like the, the main performances are absolutely brilliant and incredibly watchable. But I don't think like Gillen Hall, Edwards, Daniel Jr., and Mutt Ruffalo are ever bad, to be honest. But it is in the sort of the more supporting roles like Brian Cox's Melbourne. Like he's a really interesting character when he's having that meeting with Mark Ruffalo's Detective Toshi and he's like, this guy's reaching out to me. He's crying for help. Like that is like an interesting, like you know, dynamic to the story. And then obviously John Cowell Lynch as Arthur Lee Allen, who I don't know if the film was like, I feel like if anyone's a Zodiac, it would be him in terms of the way the film presents The evidence and the facts but he just has like this dead pan like dead look to his eyes and he delivers the line and i think it's i'm not the zodiac and if i was i certainly wouldn't tell you it's just yeah exactly which makes you think oh yeah and (laughs) yeah he's just like he's not like a full-on freak if you know what i mean like but he has this sort of weird underlying chilliness about him like he's just Makes you feel cold, and that's why I think he's just so good as this sort of main suspect, I suppose.
1: He's he's the most ordinary-looking person. I mean, you could just walk past him in the street and never think twice.
0: Yeah, yeah. But he's um, And obviously Chloe... I can't remember her name. Chloe Seveny. Chloe Seveny yeah. Chloe Seveny as yeah. Melanie. Also has fantastic glasses in this film. <laughs> I was like, I want a pair of those. But it's just... <laughs> The thing that I found recently from re-watching Fincher Films is it, it is all about world building. And because he is such a meticulous filmmaker with attention to detail, it is in the, like, as you sort of said, the realism in terms of the clothing and the locations, but also the supporting roles, like making sure everything is fleshed out to totally absorb you into that world. Totally. I mean, you know, as far as he's concerned,
1: the small roles are just as important as the big ones. Because actually, without them, the whole thing falls down.
0: Yeah. Because even though the leads are so watchable, like they wouldn't be anything without the other characters that they regularly engage with.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, One thing also I really like about Zodiac is the music choice. Because not only do we have the score, but when I think of Zodiac, I do just have the hurdy-gurdy man playing. By
1: Donovan. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, In my
0: head. I couldn't think of a more appropriate song for this movie to be honest
1: well apparently fincher didn't really want any anything in in uh terms of a of a soundtrack to the film at all he he was looking more for sound design and that's where the vintage songs of the period came from interesting Um, but equally his sound designer said to him that actually maybe it did need a bit of music so what he did was to insert music from actually a couple of finch's favorite films one was coppola's the conversation and the other was all the president's men which as you said
0: served as a template which
1: is a template in one of his favorite films and then, of course, you've got, like you say, Hurdy Gurdy Man, which, which does take on a very sinister overture. Yeah. It's never quite the same again after you've seen Zodiac. Uh, there was yeah. also Bernadette from The Four Tops in there as well, but yeah. uh, amongst others. But it's Hurdy Gurdy Man that sticks, and I think it's because of Donovan's unusual voice.
0: It's quite droning, I think is a word yeah. I'd use, it, it, and it's, it's distorted. It's got a sort of hypnotic
1: quality to
0: mm. it. And even though, like, if you listen to the lyrics, like, it really isn't anything about, like, serial killer. But no, it is, it's nothing
1: to do with it But it all. is
0: about how a man is haunted by this hurdy-gurdy man. So I suppose yeah. you could say, either it's bringing songs of love according to lyrics, like, these people, like Robert Graysmith, is still haunted by the hurdy-gurdy man, the Zodiac Killer. And as you say, it's just, it's quite distorted. It's quite droning. Like, it really its hypnotic. It really fits the the tone of the movie perfectly hence why it opens and closes it
1: it it's definitely there for the for the atmosphere i think more than anything else and it works beautifully
0: yeah no it really does work beautifully and it's interesting about the uh, sound design because i'm trying to think of like the actual score itself i don't think it is that like in your face but that works yeah. the sort of stretched back approach makes it feel, yeah, again it, it makes does. it feel more real
1: well it does I mean we're we're back to the idea of it being you know a, a true story so to actually put it in the context of, of the times as specifically as possible I mean if you think back to certain times in your life you inevitably think about music songs that you mm. remember from there and that's what helps you identify them
0: yeah um, did you were you like aware of the Zodiac Killer before this movie because I'm going to be honest like I actually wasn't aware I don't know if it's just because I don't know I was like not around at the time or it was a big thing I had I had
1: heard of it and actually I was reminded of it um when Mindhunter was on on Netflix um I don't think actually Mindhunter includes the Zodiac Killer though but there are references in there to it and and that sort of jogged my memory so when I came back to watch the film again Again, like I say, there were times when I felt, oh yeah, yeah, I can see Mindhunter in that, and that Mm. sort of fascination that Fincher certainly has nowadays with the sort of psychological side of his characters, particularly when when you're in this sort of format of of a detective story, Um, and you can see that it, it sort of started. Well, it probably started with Seven,
0: really, but it's certainly in here as well, and pretty much to the same extent. Yeah. Because I think what's interesting about uh, Zodiac is it's about a man's obsession with this case, and like we, in general as audiences, are also obsessed with these true like true crime podcasts, true crime stories. You know, it's something that's referenced, for example, in the new the latest Halloween film because you have got the podcasters who are making the the podcast about Michael Myers. Like I think it's interesting that the way this political cartoonist becomes wrapped up in this story of this mystery killer is the same way we ourselves get wrapped up in this of a film, but also just wrapped up in these true crime stories in general.
1: I think I think actually of of the four main characters, three of them sort of be- become obsessed in their own particular ways. I don't I don't think Anthony Edwards's character gets quite so sort of sucked into it. But certainly Downey Jr. and Ruffalo and Gyllenhaal do, all in different ways. Mm. What, I, what I've always found interesting um, watching the film was, was the structure. So we started off with um, two cops and two newspaper men. And then as the film goes on, we lose one of each, so we end up with just one of each. Mm. And up until then, their stories had run sort of in parallel and had overlapped and then all of a sudden, it just sort of narrows down to the, to the two, who, strange enough, you see, I would I would have actually said that Danny Junior's Paul Avery was perhaps more likely to be the most obsessed of the lot or the most obsessive of the lot, and actually, it turns out to be Gyllenhaal,
0: yeah, who yeah. is
1: described early on as the Boy Scout,
0: <laughs> the least doesn't drink, likely. doesn't drink, doesn't have fun, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't,
1: don't drink, don't smoke. What do you do? Um, <laughs> Yeah, he's the most unlikely one to be the obsessive, but he's the one.
0: That's what I like about it as well is he's always presented in kind of like every man sort of way. Like he's he's our connection to the story because we are all every man who are all like, there is something fascinating about serial killers. There just is like, can I put my finger on it? No, but you know, that's that's something that also helps us connect to the story. But I think what's also interesting is how like, I'd, I'd never heard of the Zodiac Killer until I saw this film. Then I went and did loads of reading about it. And it's almost like a sort of like folklore built around him. In the same way like Jack the Ripper, like here in England, like obviously again, unsolved serial killer. But what is myth? What is real? And I think that's why also Fincher wanted to take such a realistic approach to really decipher between the fact and you know the myths.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, he he based the film on um Grace Smith's book. Grace Smith of course was Jake Gyllenhaal's character. Yeah. So and and I believe there is actually some, you know, there are some disputes as to how accurate his book is. So I think there's there's some gray areas in there but nonetheless you you can't deny that this is actually a seriously good piece of filmmaking Mm. um, both in terms of of the narrative and the performances but you know to go back to something we said before that attention to detail not just in terms of the case itself but also also the sheer authenticity yeah of it feeling absolutely right in terms of the period
0: yeah but it also feel like it also does capture the way that the public were sort of enraptured by this story and how there would be a sort of folklore and a myth like built around this I think Fincher calls him the ultimate boogeyman um which is such a great phrase um so you can kind of see also again why Grace Smith would be such like caught up and lost in it whilst it is frustrating seeing like what happens to him like his relationship breaks down you know he loses his job you know it's, it is it is you're like just stop now <laughs> you're sort of yelling at your screen just saying stop now but it is like kind of like something we could also I suppose see ourselves doing and relate to as well because we are all sort of fascinated by these like serial killer stories as is Fincher himself
1: yeah I mean and I think because we'll never know now Mm. I don't think who was actually behind this actually what was going through my mind when you were saying that was I wonder what would have happened if they'd have had social media yeah. And how the story would have panned out then and the number of suspects. And, of course, the the other thing is, when this was happening, forensics were very, very limited. So th- this is this is a story that is, if you like, pre-CSI.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no, like, forensics used, I think.
1: Minimal fingerprints, and that's probably about your lot.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, it'd be interesting to see, like, I suppose... 'cause a lot as a lot of the in terms of building this sort of mystery around it is through like they literally have someone call in on live t v like which which like in my head is so strange that that even happened, <laughs> but yeah. it tells the time, doesn't it
1: well it it does totally i mean in in some ways it looks sort of quite I sp- pr- is primitive the right right word yeah I suppose it is actually compared to now. In terms of the, the various methods of communication we have open to us, which are almost infinite compared to what they had there.
0: Yeah, yeah. As I said, the attention to detail is so spot on and it is all about absorbing us into this world. And what do you think about, you know, the the visuals themselves and the and the cinematography? I
1: I really liked it. I mean again, you know, going back to that idea of the fact that they had to move the film along really quite quickly, I think I think it's very very crisply done, very briskly done. And and that actually helps keep your attention as well. There's there's nothing in there that feels sort of superfluous at all.
0: Yeah, yeah. I like how grey it is <laughs> as well, which is like... It kind of suits the mood, really. Yeah, I think everything about it suits the mood. It's sort of like a bit smoky at times when they are in the bar. And, you know, like even like Jake Gyllenhaal's flat, it's like kind of like cramped and claustrophobic. Like it all... As it is to say with Seven, like it perfectly suits a sort of like downbeaten world, I suppose.
1: Yeah, it, it does. I mean, the, the colour palette, as you say on it, it is very sort of grey, smoky, dark, lots of nighttime scenes, which obviously add to all the atmosphere as well. Plus, of course, on the rare occasions when we do get, in theory, sight of the killer, we don't really see him at all. I mean, he's just the man in black.
0: Yeah, I think he's played as well by different actors. Am I right? He is. He is. So we are, yeah. really are never sure on his. We never identity. know. <laughs>
1: we never know. Just like um, you know, Gillian Hall and Ruffalo and Danny Junior. I mean, the thing that I found quite early on in the film um, was I got so caught up in it. I was actually trying to solve it myself. Yeah. Now, whether that's because I've, I've watched too many police procedurals, it probably is. But it it did draw me into that extent that I was going, "Well, hang on a minute, no, that doesn't work," and yeah, I was I was doing all of that.
0: Yeah, I think I think it, it naturally invites that as well. Like we are presented with because the way he writes the codes, like you're presented with a sort of cipher, and you automatically want yeah. to try and crack it yourself. So um, okay. including the letters, like it's so it is well also adds that mystery of course it's real life so they have to include it but it also adds just another layer to the mystery it it's it certainly does and it's 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 really easy to get sort of caught up in it mm-hmm. and one thing i do like as we sort of mentioned earlier is kind of the meta element to it like as you know, we the audience are caught up in this in this film as much as robert graysmith is caught up in this story but also we have the references to dirty harry which is um I think he even go see Dirty Harry at one point in the um yeah, yeah. and it's also good. we have references to the most dangerous game a 1932 film which the yep. killer references so it is looking at that relationship I suppose again between culture and crime.
1: Yes, absolutely. And uh the, one of the scenes that stuck in my head was uh that scene that's actually set uh, behind the scenes in the cinema with that extremely creepy cinema manager.
0: Mm. In the basement. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which
1: does make you wonder, hang on, have we been barking up the wrong tree here entirely for the duration of the film? Because it's quite uh, at the end we'll and it throws know. you off.
0: Yeah, because I feel that yeah. like the film builds Arthur Lee Allen up to be like, he's Zodiac. And then all of a sudden you're in a basement with this guy who no one's mentioned before, and he yes, like... he's like,
1: "Come from left field completely," and it, yeah. it does actually throw you off kilter,
0: which is so good because it disorientates you when you feel that you're you're settled, you come into an answer. It's the way he says, "You know, like I, I write the posters." You're like, "Oh yes. no, oh heck!"
1: <laughs> it, it really is, and he sort of fades into the background as the door closes. Yeah. With that half smile, and you sort of think, oh God.
0: <laughs> as you say, that's a really key turning point because you feel a bit settled by that time. Not like completely settled, but you feel no, that like. But you
1: think you're getting somewhere.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: And then all of a sudden you think perhaps you're not after all.
0: Yeah. What do you think about the way I suppose it creates tension? Because as you said, we don't actually see much off the killer himself, unlike other sort of police procedural movies.
1: I I think the way it does it, I mean, in the sense, it's the proverbial thrill of the chase because you don't see an awful lot in terms of the murders per se. Yeah. So, you know, in terms of violence, it's actually comparatively limited. It's all down to the thrill of the chase and the mental exercise and the fact, you know, are you going to kill him? And then the occasional sort of more sinister moment thrown in, like the scene we were talking about, mm. like John Carroll Lynch... Uh, suddenly going, if you like, dead behind the eyes. And, <laughs> and that just sort of helps to build it and sustain it over really what is quite a long period of time to sustain an atmosphere like that. And I think it does it incredibly well.
0: Yeah, I agree. And it's interesting what you said about the violence because it isn't a particularly gory or violent mm-hmm. film. Like, I can only nope. think of one moment, which is when he starts stabbing two of the victims. Which yep. is yeah. the act. That's the only time I think we see the physical violence on screen, because, yeah. A, it's just not needed, to be honest. No, you don't need it. In fact, what you imagine is always far
1: worse than what actually happens.
0: Yeah, yeah, So, exactly. he, So
1: Finch is sort of playing with our minds again. It's the, the whole sort of psychological thing that goes with him.
0: Yeah, I think also, like, you do need that particular... I think you do need that one scene of violence to, rem- to remember, like, this is, like, a really vicious murderer he's not like a fake boogeyman like this is a guy who has has killed people i suppose because you even robert if is like chasing reality like it is i suppose pulling him back in a way back to reality yeah and i
1: i don't think it does any harm for us to be reminded that people actually did die at the hands of this person whoever he was you know it is a true story and people did die so it yes okay it's a piece of entertainment but it is actually based on fact and there were real people behind this.
0: Yeah. Didn't, um, I mean, you may know better than I do, but didn't the film like, also help reopen the case in the end? Um,
1: after the film was shown, they did actually reopen the case. Yes, most definitely. Um, but I don't think they ever came to a conclusion because I think, did we not see at the credits at the end, that John Carroll Lynch's character was due to have another interview with the police? Mm. And then suffered and then a he fatal heart attack just beforehand, so it never actually happened.
0: Yeah, because I think it's interesting the way again a sort of meta element that it sort of reopened a previously, you know, closed case as well, and I suppose renewed audience interest in the in the case.
1: Yeah, it, do, it does. It does. I mean, it, the thing is with with this film, I I guess I'd always assumed that it had been. Just as popular with audiences as it had been with critics, because it did actually get a really good critical reception. Okay. Um, it didn't do that well at the box office. I mean, it didn't do badly, but um, it grossed. 84.8 million dollars which is actually pretty respectable yeah um its budget was 65 million dollars so it made a profit but not a huge one mm. but here, here's the interesting bit: when the week it opened in early march in 2007 it only came second at the box
0: office what came number one
1: <laughs> i couldn't believe this when i read it it was wild hogs that awful film with John <laughs> Travolta the with the aging bikers. oh wow wild hogs meets Zodiac to the top of the pile that week in at the box office.
0: Yeah, because I would think because it's also people are fascinated with true crime. I would think it automatically would be a hit. But do you think it's maybe a bit too long or a bit too cold or? <clears throat>
1: Maybe be it might it might have been the length but in interestingly the following week the following week its takings went down by 50 percent in the states um and also in that second week the film that opened was 300
0: Ugh.
1: this is sparta
0: yeah i hate that movie yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> i have to say it's as camp as hell and it makes me laugh my head <laughs> off um <laughs> The only decent bit of acting that Gerald Butler's ever done. Oh, oh. well, with one exception, with one exception, he was very good in Coriolanus.
0: Oh, um, he is with. Um, he's
1: very with Ray Ralph Fiennes. Fiennes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But we digress. But yet, strangely <laughs> enough, Zodiac did not do as well as you would have thought yeah. at
0: the box
1: office, and I think that's particularly strange in America. And especially, say, on the West Coast, where, of course, they would have been very familiar with the Zodiac, the Zodiac Killer. Because they took place in San Francisco.
0: I said, like, here, I I did not heard of it until I saw the movie. I was like, oh, true story. But said, it's very different over here, what stories reach the UK compared to...
1: Completely. But Completely. I feel like
0: people, when they hear David Fincher, they obviously think, oh, he does like making movies about serial killers because of Seven, Mindhunter, even, like, Gone Girl, I suppose, there's a murder mystery aspect to it. But people I think kind of forget about Zodiac 2, which is a shame because it's incredibly well crafted. Um it is a very different movie to 7. But like I, t- I don't know which one I prefer to be honest, <laughs> thinking about it now. It's uh, it's
1: a it's a, ve- it's a very close run thing for me because mm. I like both of them for for different, different reasons. reasons. I mean yeah. actually, um I think there was a BBC survey a few years ago where they got critics to uh, come up with their top 100 films of the 21st century so far and zodiac came in at number 12 so it really is that highly rated i mean interestingly it was david finch's work on seven that got him the work on zodiac
0: yes because he did such a good job handling yeah, the topic se- in seven
1: was terrific yeah I, I really struggle to choose between the two, actually. Yeah,
0: I really can't. So. Um, it also depends on what mood I'm in. I think because, as you sort of say, they're different beasts. And because Seven is a lot bleaker, a lot darker, yeah. a lot yes. more grim and violent. Whereas Zodiac is a bit more, as you say, psychological and, yeah. and in, like intellectual, um, but still quite cold and still bleak. And yeah. interesting double bill of films, to be honest. Fair.
1: Yeah, perhaps it's about time I watch Seven again because it's it's quite a while since I saw it. Seven is, I think, more of a jigsaw puzzle. Mm. It's actually, I was going to say contrived, but I mean contrived not in a negative way. Okay. You can see the way it is put together, that whole sort of Seven Deadly Sins theme to it. Um, Whereas, you know, with Zodiac, Fincher has to follow the story. Because it's based on a true story. So he has to kind of go with that. So, you know, he, yeah. it, it isn't as, what should we say, creative in its format as perhaps Seven is.
0: Yeah. Well, he has a bit of artistic license, but because he does approach it as a, like an actual investigator, yeah. which is also what makes it so good, you know, do, he is a bit more limited in terms of what he can do. But I like can't think of any real flaws with Zodiac at all. Like it's spot on. in terms of everything it's as you say it's it is very intellectual very psychological very interesting but also it is just hugely entertaining
1: yeah it is i mean it's it's just a really really good story and Mm. you know the the fact that it it mixes those two sort of investigative genres for me anyway sort of increases its appeal
0: yeah yeah i like you like i am i love sort of newspaper dramas event like spotlight and you know spotlight, all that
1: i absolutely love and was so chuffed when it got best film Oscar.
0: yeah i bet. i also love like detective dramas and as you say it's it is a perfect combination of the two and yeah. it's no wonder finch is sort of known for his work in terms of the serial killer genre with seven zodiac and i still haven't seen it but as you sort of said earlier mindhunter which is very zodiac-y
1: yeah it's it is it is which Which makes me sort of even more interested to see what he's going to do with Mank.
0: Of course, yeah. I mean, are you looking forward to Mank?
1: Hugely. Um, I've seen the trailer and it just sort of... Well, my eyebrows went shooting up, so put it that way. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I I, I seriously can't wait. I mean, I know Citizen Kane quite well as a film anyway, so I'm really Mm. interested to see the sort of backstory. I mean, like most film fans i love stuff that takes you behind the scenes of films whether it's a documentary or whether it's a dramatized version yeah. it's completely up my street it's, it's a real nerd fest really yeah yeah <laughs> nothing wrong with that
0: and yeah they feel that like Finch is were always... all gr- all great directors and auteurs make a movie about movies and of and fin- this is finch's um turn i suppose and Mankin like you said um, it's interesting that you're looking forward to it because obviously you say you're a bit hot and cold on Fincher but as you said he is always going to do something different and interesting even if you don't like it I think we both will like Mank, by the way because as you say it appeals to us but even if you don't like it at least it'll be it'll always be worth a watch
1: it it'd definitely be worth a watch I mean you know even though there are films of Fincher's that I'm not wholly at home with they are always always worth watching I would always watch mm. a Fincher film when one comes along, most definitely. But Mank does look something really rather special.
0: And different as well for him. Like yep. it looks yep. fun. Are <laughs> <laughs> we oh, sure there will be fun but... to have? I
1: know, no there's nothing wrong with a bit of fun as well. I'm sure there will be fun to be had in this as well. It it just looks tremendous, so uh, bring it on.
0: Bring it on, yeah. What would you say is your favourite Fincher film, or is it Zodiac, I suppose? Because or... I don't know. A, this is what I'm trying to find it's out. A,
1: it's, a, it's a it's a toss-up between this and Seven, and like I say, I, I struggle to choose between the two. Yeah. And maybe maybe I should watch Seven... You know, again, because it's a while since I've seen it, and see if I can actually make up my mind <laughs> sitting on the fence.
0: I'm, I am also sitting on the fence. I'm like, I just re- I really like Zodiac, I really like Seven, I actually really like Fight Club, Gone Girl, like it's just genius. The only one I haven't seen at this time of recording is Benjamin Button, because I've been putting it off just because I don't know, it just looks a bit. Mm, I even have it is seen David Benjamin Fincher? Okay,
1: I have seen Benjamin Button, and I, I remember going to see it at a, a screening at the BFI, and I remember when I first heard about it. I just loved the idea. See, the idea just jumped out at me and I thought, now that I really want to see because I want to see actually how it works.
0: Yeah, how it makes
1: that work. And I, I really enjoyed it. It's another long one.
0: Yeah, I looked. It's on Netflix now, actually. So I'm going to, I am. Yeah, it's a, it's it's going, as is Zodiac. As is Zodiac. Obviously, I'm okay, going to Z- watch Zodiac's it.
1: Zodiac's on Amazon Prime as well, I think. Yeah, and Gone
0: Girl is on Netflix as well because I watched yeah. that last night. I feel like, see, I'm the opposite to you. I hear the uh, concept behind Benjamin Button and it just, it doesn't like appeal to me. So, but I will finish. I'm doing it for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping I love it. I just am, I'm just nervous about it <laughs> in case it's, I don't. It's
1: what should we say it's a little more variable than zodiac in that there are parts where you sort of think oh i'm not quite sure that that worked but but overall i remember coming out of seeing it and thinking yes actually i did i did actually quite like that i wasn't 100 percent sold on it but i was glad i saw it simply because i just wanted to see what he made of that concept
0: yeah i well i will watch it too because of brad pitt of course well yeah hey we love love Brad Pitt (laughs) Uh, well thanks for talking about Zodiac it's been good fun absolute pleasure such a good movie such a good movie Um, so I suppose where can people see more of your work and follow you on social media
1: oh well you can follow me on social media at Frida Talking Picks and Pix is spelled P-I-X you can find me on oh gosh where can you find me Yahoo Movies (laughs) Zavi. Film Stories Magazine uh, Hollywood News Hey You Guys People's Movies and on BBC Radio Surrey and BBC Radio Sussex on Friday Lunchtimes yattering away about films there's a surprise
0: and you'll be talking about Mankind I imagine on the, on the BBC
1: oh yeah when it comes out I will definitely be talking about it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and we are hoping it'll be rave reviews I mean all the reviews so the review embargo lifted and it's all been very good so far
1: i've been trying to avoid them <laughs> <laughs> i don't want to spoil it for myself i just want to see the film and try and see it as cold as possible bar the yeah trailer. to I, be yeah, fair i don't really want to know what people are saying about it that much
0: yeah to be fair i haven't read any reviews i've just seen the five no. star the five star ratings because i like you i'm trying to go in not cold but I
1: haven't quite I don't muted to... it on um, on Twitter, but I've
0: come close. Well, uh, well, thank you for joining us, Frida. It's been great fun, Absolutely. and I'm sure you, I'm sure we'll see you for the next one.
1: Hopefully so.
0: <laughs> that was me and Frida Cooper discussing Fincher's film Zodiac. On the next episode, film journalist Maria Letilla joins me to discuss the Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode, and follow us on Twitter too at @TheFincherTakesIt. I would love to hear your thoughts on Zodiac and any feedback on the podcast. See you next time.